I was like, come on, man, he can't catch me. As I said, I turned around and bomb, that's when it hit me. Welcome to Unearthed, a podcast brought to you by the WBRU News Team. And I'm your host, Ellie Morimoto. In 1996, Raymond Duggan turned 14 and joined a gang in Providence. He's been on all sides of gun violence as a perpetrator and a victim, but now he's devoted his life to preventing violence on the streets. WBRU News reporter Alina Coleman takes it from here. In the south side of Providence, Ray Duggan is a familiar face. We're driving with all four windows down on a Thursday afternoon, passing by rows of vinyl-sided houses. We go around the corner and pass by a friend he sees leaving his apartment, who's dressed for work. Hey, what up, boy? Oh, professional and shit. You go. He works two jobs. Ray does street work outreach for the Institute for the Study and Practice of Nonviolence in Providence. That means he's on the streets every day, working with gangs to prevent retaliation and mitigate violence. He also works with kids in the South Side, helping them in school, find jobs. He's got to do a little bit of both today. Today, the only thing I would have to do today is I got to go pick up Sarah. She's one of my little brats. I'm trying to get her a summer job. She just doesn't do anything I keep telling her to do, which is frustrating. She's lucky I love her, but it's dealing with her, dealing with, um, there was actually a couple of recent shootings, and I kind of know people from that side that unfortunately did it. And it's just trying to figure out why, you know, how, how can I make sure this doesn't happen again. When it comes to gang violence, Ray knows what he's talking about. He's been a part of a Providence gang called the Young Bloods for over 20 years. And while he's not directly involved in the violence of the gang anymore, he keeps the connection to try to help steer kids away from that violence. He's in his mid-30s now, and he's wearing a plain white t-shirt and a Boston Red Sox snapback that covers his light blue eyes. A lot of kids from them gangs know me, and they, they, some of them will hear the stories about me, but they know I've been real through my whole life, so uh, they will listen out of respect for me. They say I'm the only one that really has ties to like, the gangs where the gang has to listen. Ray grew up in the West End of Providence. He was in and out of foster care, his father wasn't around, and his mother struggled to provide for him and his sisters. He was one of just a few white kids at his middle school. There was a big rivalry between the Cambodians and the Laotians in Providence, and at his middle school too, but Ray didn't know much about that. Unfortunately for him, other people thought he did. A Laotian kid in the halls thought he was allied with the Cambodians, and they ended up getting in a fight. Later that day, Ray stumbled on some of the kids who were actually in the Cambodian gang. I asked them, was like, listen, they want to jump me because they think I'm part of your gang. Can you let them know I'm not? They were like, Ray, uh, nobody's going to really listen to us about, like, oh, he's not part of it, so he, you can't touch him. Uh, and they, they you want to get down with us. And I'm like, eh, fuck it. Might as well. Who cares? Like, I'm already getting, getting into fights because people think I'm it, so I might as well do it. So now he was in a gang. The Young Bloods. I knew I just took a big change in my life. I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, Ray, what the fuck did you just do? You just joined a goddamn gang. Ray was only 14. There wasn't a real hierarchy in his gang yet. He was only the ninth member. It was mostly just a group of teenagers hanging out. A year later, Ray got a girl pregnant. After that, he dropped out of high school to take care of his son. When he was young, before he turned two, he was my world. There was no gang banging, there was no nothing. I worked two jobs, all for him. But things turned sour between Ray and his son's mother. She left the state, taking the boy with her. And that's what really drove me deep down to my gang life, um, because I was like, well, fuck it, I ain't got nothing. I didn't care about anything. Uh, my friends were my life, and somebody took something from me already. I'm going to make sure nobody takes nothing from me again. The Young Bloods were his family now. 
So the gang was all my brothers, and these are people that became close friends. And I, I looked at these kids as they're willing to protect me, so I'm willing to protect them. Um, my problem is I become very loyal. Um, if you're gonna hurt my friends, I'm gonna hurt your friends. I always felt that I can deal with shit a lot better than most people. Um, if somebody's gonna get shot, I want it to be me. If somebody's gonna have to go to jail, I want it to be me. So within his gang, Ray became the shooter. He's pretty matter of fact about the violence he carried out. I've shot uh, numerous people. I try to follow the news afterwards to see how they feared. Um, I don't really care if they live or die, especially at that point in time. I look at if you're my enemy, then you're my enemy. Why do I care about you? Like a lot of teenagers, he thought the rules didn't apply to him. He thought he could avoid consequences, that he was invincible. On October 9th, 2004, Ray was dropping off his friend in Smith Hill, which is the neighborhood of his rival gang, Las Pride. Some LP members spotted his car and started chasing him, flying through red lights and stop signs in the streets of Providence. Eventually, Ray made it home. When he got there, he saw his friend Papo hanging out outside his house. Papo's a barber and not really involved in the gangs at all. He asked Ray what was going on. He said, go Ray, be careful out there, man. I was like, come on, man, they can't catch me. As I said that, I turned around and bam, that's when it hit me. I couldn't breathe at all. Uh, I wrote a poem about it. Uh, it's called Rewind, uh, but it's like, uh, I see the spark, I hear the bang, I realize now I'm being shot at by a rival gang. Two last Pride members walking by had shot him, and he thought that was it. Always had it planned out, my last words and stuff like that, Mom, I love you, I go to die. Um, Bapo, though, he was kind of screwing that up on me. He's talking, which is screwing my shit up, so I'm like, Bapo, like, listen, <laughs> can you shut up? Like, just tell my mom I love her, and I ain't try to die again, but he keeps talking. Uh, and I make jokes about it now, like, if my last words was shut the fuck up, I'm going to have a lot of problems with you, buddy. Uh, I'll haunt you for the rest of your life because I only get one chance of death, and I don't want to mess it up. Uh, but then my mom came out of the house. So when she came out, I, said, oh, I can't die yet. All right. And uh, her fear in her voice, when she yelled, Ray, I was like, oh, God, Mom. I wasn't crying at all. I was like, Mom, don't worry about it. I just didn't want her thinking that if I did die, that I was in pain when I died. He went to the emergency room, had to have countless surgeries. Bullets had hit his chest, severed his spinal cord. He woke up to find out he could never walk again. He was paralyzed from the waist down, and he'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. After he got out of the hospital, his life was kind of a mess. His sister stole a lot of his money. He didn't have anywhere to stay. He even thought about suicide. And he was still in his gang. They were caught up in a shooting at the Dominican Festival in Providence. And after the shooting, he met Tenny Gross, the head of the Institute for the Study and Practice of Nonviolence. Ray's caseworker had talked to Tenny, and Tenny decided to offer Ray a job. And I was like, nonviolence, fuck that, man. Like, I'm not nonviolent. To me, it was like a bunch of people holding hands, singing songs underneath the rainbows. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm good, man. But Ray had a change of heart, since the job just involved going to a local public school and telling the kids about his experiences. After that, Tenny told him he could stay on at the Institute as a street worker. The Institute works on all levels to prevent violence. They respond to every shooting in Providence to try to stop gang retaliation. They help incarcerated people finish school and find jobs. Ray says the Institute kind of pays people not to do bad things. He joined a team working at a middle school in Providence to support struggling kids. So being at that school, I was like, how the hell are these kids gonna relate to me? Like, they're gonna look at me as like, what the hell is this white guy doing here? Because they're not gonna know my story until they actually talk to me. Um, and it's hard 
for me to approach people because I feel awkward in, while I'm in a wheelchair. Um, but I was also awkward before I was when I was walking. So this the wheelchair just doesn't help it. But the kids came up to me slowly. He was enjoying working with the kids, even if he wasn't completely devoted to the mission of nonviolence. While working at the front desk, a group of girls from the after-school program, around 10 or 11 years old at the time, started coming up to him whenever they could, just to hang out. Six years later, Sarah, who was one of those girls, is sitting in the passenger seat of Ray's car with us. She tells me she didn't like Ray at first, thought he was grumpy, but she and her friends quickly became attached to him. A couple times they gave him rides home mm-hmm. on the trunk of the car. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be fun. Like, I didn't drive fast. I would like take the side yeah, streets. Yeah, uh, we'll be sitting right there. Just so they can uh, do it. They held on to the, my fin, and I was always worried about that breaking. They were like, oh, let's go on the main street. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, and this is why I say you give them a little, and they always they want to keep more. <laughs> but yeah, just, we used to just we used to run up and down the ramps. Yeah. We used to no you, we, he used to have a camera. We used to take pictures of everything with his camera. He oh, probably James had camera. a thousand pictures. Yeah. But I think it was a digital camera, so he can easily. Sarah's like, 17 now. Ray picked her up after she finished work. She's working at the Institute, Ray's organization, for the summer. Uh, what do you plan on doing with your first paycheck? Um, I don't know. I'm just going to save it. Don't lie to me now. I'm oh, going to take, take some money from me, obviously, and probably go shop. But Sarah keeps readjusting her thick black hair into a bun and is wearing a red ruffled t-shirt and skinny jeans. Over the past six years, Ray has basically become a parent to her. Her own parents are separated. She has four older sisters and two brothers who are both in jail. She spent a lot of time living with different friends since her mom keeps losing their money and getting them evicted. And Sarah's the, like the one good one in the family. Mm-hmm. The only good one. She's the baby. But that's why it's like... Um, I get treated like I'm the oldest. I just think her, like her mom raised all the other kids already. So it's like, uh, all right. You're, you're old enough to do your own thing. Uh, no, but she she kind of babies them. She babies all of them, except for her. I get mad about it because if anybody's supposed to get the, all the attention, it should be her because she's doing she's doing everything right. Ray takes us to Taco Bell to buy Sarah an early dinner. I want the that box, the one with the nacho fries. The nacho fries supreme? Yeah. May I have uh, the nacho fries box? Would you like to donate to kids with cancer? Yes. How much would you like to donate? One dollar, three dollars, yeah. or five? A dollar. Alright, thank you for your donation. That'd be six for you, whatever. Thank you. Get me every time. I can't say no to this stuff. <laughs> they get me at stop and shop when I go through. At the register and at the door. Ray reaches up and grabs the box of food from the drive-thru window. Ray picks Sarah up nearly every day, uh, gives her a ride when she needs one, or just drives her around Providence for hours when she doesn't want to be home. He's been doing this for years. But Sarah's older now, almost a legal adult, not the kid he remembers. To me, she should be single for the rest of her life. Uh, but I understand she has to have a boyfriend. Sarah has been with her boyfriend, Gene, since February. He's also in a gang, one that's connected to Ray's gang, the Young Bloods. One night this past March, she and Gene were hanging out at a friend's house. And it got pretty late, almost midnight. We was, we was going to get pizza. I wasn't going to go, but I just had a feeling. And I kept telling him, don't go, don't go, don't go. But he was like, nah, no, nah, I'm just going to go. And I was like, all right, then I'm going. And I made him wait till I put my shoes on. On the street, they ran into a friend of Sarah's brother, who's a member of a rival gang. The kid was waving a gun around and told Gene he had five seconds to run. 
Gene wouldn't stand down, so the kid shot him. Gene and Sarah ran off, and Sarah immediately called Ray. Were you scared? Yeah, when everything happened, I was crying. And that's why when I seen the phone calls... I was, I was like, crying oh, like oh. in the movies. And that's why I thought it was so much worse than what it really was. Hey, she's been shot. She's been Cause shot. Because I'd she's never shot. seen like, anybody get shot. Like, I was so surprised. That was the first time. Yeah, well, I messed like up. I, I shut off my Xbox. I shut off Madden, which I was playing. And then I'm like, where, where was he shot? She goes, in the ankle. I was like, I shut the game off for this? He's an ankle. I'm not worried about this. Go to the hospital. But it could have hit his bone. Yeah, it didn't matter to me. You get shot in the ankle. I'm not taking you serious. She handed the phone to her boyfriend. He didn't want his mom to find out that he'd gotten shot, and they were trying to bandage his foot by themselves. I, I talked to him the night he was shot. I was like, listen, do you know who I am? No. All right, well, listen, I'm YB, da, 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 and I let him know who my gang affiliation was. Uh, then he at least listened. They got Gene to Roger Williams Hospital, where he recovered. And as much as Ray jokes about it, he had to go deal with the aftermath of the shooting. He went to talk to the kid who shot Gene, not as a street worker, but as someone who cared about Sarah, since she could have gotten shot too. I let the kid know, like, listen, I don't give a shit who you see. I don't give a shit if she's with the kid that killed your mother. If she's with her, you let her go. Sarah sees the guy who shot her boyfriend around Providence all the time, even at the Institute. It makes her furious. People from his gang have tried apologizing to her, told her that the guy overreacted, that he was just trying to prove a point since Gene tested his gangster. But she hasn't forgiven them yet. And Ray says that part of the problem of gang violence in Providence is the city itself. It's just tough because Providence is small. And everybody knows everything personal about everybody. Like, they know their families, their mothers, their fathers, and stuff like that, where they live. It's different when, like, from New York, Chicago, because you got to drive to another town to go beef with people, usually. Here, you know they just live two streets over. You can just be bored. Like, you know, I'm just going to go shoot these dudes real quick. I'll be right back. So it's like, it's really close. Uh, but a lot of these kids in the gangs, like, they grew up together. Like, they were friends. They used to sleep at each other's houses and stuff like that. But then they just separate. Ray's job now involves protecting Sarah and the other kids he works with from the same kind of violence he perpetuated as a kid. He can only really do his job well because of the respect he gets on the streets from being in a gang. And so he doesn't see the job and the gang as two distinct chapters in his life. But it's like, listen, all right, I'm no different at all from who I was before. The only difference is I, I, I can't walk. I still have the same type of heart in me that I had before. The only reason why I can help these kids and work with these kids is the same type of person I was before. I used to help people all the damn time. Um, it's just who I am. People always be like, oh, you're out of the gang. No, I'm really not. Because I have to say that, yeah. But my gang is still my friends. Um, I'm not turning my back on them whatsoever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still in the gang with them. I'm just not trying to kill nobody anymore. I'm not trying to hurt nobody. I'm trying to keep my friends from hurting anybody. And that's all I can do. When Ray was deep in his gang, he thought he'd die young on the streets. He doesn't think that'll be the case anymore. But he isn't sure how long he'll be around, since being in a wheelchair causes a lot of health problems. He told me he eventually wants to write a memoir about all his experiences, but he wants to do it right before he thinks he'll die so all the money can go to his family and the kids he works with. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die doing something good. And right now, I'm willing to die, because if I died that night, I'd just have been another gang member that got killed. Um, but I wasn't. So now I'm giving my sh chance to have my obituary say something totally different and people actually not be happy that I'm dead and 
actually be sad or something like that. <laughs> Even though I don't want nobody to be sad. I got my whole thing planned out how I want it. Cook out, weed, smoking, everybody happy. Uh, so that's the way I want it now. But um, that's who I am now. Uh, and I want to change it for nothing. This episode was brought to you by the WBRU News Team in Providence, Rhode Island. Special shout out to Andy Corbin, Yashi Wang, Karya Zenner, Rainey Zimmerman, Eileen Foe, Elise Kipnis, and John Klein for their help in making this episode happen. The mission of Unearthed is to have people talk to one another, so we'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave your comments on iTunes or DM us on Instagram at WBRU News. I'm Ellie Morimoto, and thanks for listening.